All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, I don't have time for the tweets right now, but I do appreciate that uh, people enjoyed my Ben Shapiro impression. Uh, they thought it was apparently sorcery how I did that. Um, <laughs> anyways, fun for everybody. All right. Um, Daryl Johnson is the guy who literally wrote the book and the report on extremism in this country. Um, but all types of extremism, including uh, white supremacist uh, extremism. The only problem was his report was buried. Uh, he worked uh, in the government at the time, he uh, no longer does. He was a conservative at the time. His views have changed a little bit since then. Uh, he's now on the program. Uh, Daryl Johnson, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you, Jake. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, when I say you wrote the book on it, it's literal. Uh, your book is Hateland, a long, hard look at America's extremist heart. Uh, and you're an interesting uh, cat because uh, you're, you're not in these political battles on one side or another, as far as I can tell. So let, let's start from the beginning. What did you do in the government about 10 years ago? Yeah, so I started my federal career uh, looking at uh, force protection issues for the US Army here in the continental United States. This is before the Oklahoma City bombing in 95. Uh, 1995 was kind of a watershed event with Oklahoma City. And so I went ahead and took over the Kronos force protection uh, desk and later turned a career into looking at uh, right-wing extremists as well as left-wing extremists and single-issue groups. I uh, worked at ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms for a number of years and led a team of analysts uh, at Department of Homeland Security. So I, I'm gonna start in a curious place, which is left-wing extremism. Um, because right now there's tons of attacks from right-wing extremists, as you correctly predicted, and which we're gonna get to. Uh, but oftentimes people will talk about left-wing extremism, and, and, I'm, and it's obvious I'm missing something, because I literally don't see it. Uh, it. There doesn't seem to be any massacres by left-wing zealots for the reason of left-wing extremism, but it must exist because you write about it, you guys studied it in, in the government and tracked it, etc. So what is it? Yeah, so typically uh, the FBI and Homeland Security, we categorize eco-terrorism, animal rights extremism, uh, anarchist extremism, as well as black nationalism on the far left of the political spectrum because the ideal goals of these groups is to get rid of the class class distinctions in our country, to have a classless society. Uh, they want to you know, redistribute wealth from the rich to the poor. Um, so, you know, we had a micro trend back in 2016 where some black nationalists were involved in some police ambushes and police officers were killed. Uh, that only lasted about a year, year and a half, where white nationalism has been around for decades and they've been killing people for the past 10 years at least. So those cop killings were, were obvious, that, that we can see, and, and I get that. So I was just wondering, like, because I hear about the eco-terrorists, the animal rights activists, but I mean, they're kidnapping pigs and stuff. And, and I've heard of a long time ago burning down SUV places, etc. But I, I'm not missing it today, right? I mean, in the sense that there isn't some sort of killings that's happening a lot, but we're just missing it from the left. No, and when you hear the president say he wants to classify the Antifa movement as a terrorist organization, but totally neglects categorizing white nationalism as terrorism, he's got his priorities mixed up. Uh, when I studied the threat, you know, the anarchists, the Antifa, yeah, they destroy property. Yeah, they're a nuisance when they come to town. Uh, they may burn an SUV or 
you know, a limo or um, break windows of businesses. Uh, but they're not out there killing people in mass numbers like we saw this past week in El Paso and Gilroy. So uh, back during the Bush administration, not the Obama administration, your, your group wrote a report about right-wing extremism, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it all began in January 2007 with a call from the US Capitol Police who tipped us off uh, that Senator Barack Obama was going to announce his run for president. Uh, they asked us to monitor the white nationalist websites to see if there was any threats uh, directed at Senator Obama. We did that for them uh, for about a month or so and didn't see anything. It was only when he won the Democratic nomination for president uh, did we actually start seeing the threats. And there was actually a couple of assassination plots as well. Oh, so that's wow. kind of where the report started. And so at the time, uh, were you some big liberal uh, who wanted to you know, blame uh, the right wing in general and Republicans in general for non-existent threats? No, I'm actually a third generation Republican, very conservative. I was raised a Mormon, spent 40 years of my life uh, studying the Mormon theology and serving in all kinds of volunteer capacities. Uh, so I, you know, I can identify the threat and call it out for what it is. So why can't our own Republican leaders? Right, so uh, you saw that at that time in 2007, this beginning to take shape. So you guys wrote a report uh, warning about it. Uh, now you wrote it, if I'm not mistaken, mainly in the Bush administration, but it got released in the early part of the Obama administration. What happened next? Yeah, that's correct. So it took us 18 months to compile the data, six months putting pen to paper, coordinated it with the FBI and all levels of Department of Homeland Security. We actually had 23 rewrites of that paper. Uh, so in April of 2009, I briefed the findings to Secretary Napolitano, which basically said, yes, we are seeing a rise in right-wing extremism, and it's primarily due to the unprecedented election of a first African-American president, as well as him being a Democrat, as well as the uh, economic uh, collapse that we had in 2008. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and. How was that report received? Yeah, so it was received very well by Napolitano. She thanked me for the brief. The FBI was there briefing their portion on what they were going to do about the problem. Um, and so the report was released. Uh, the fusion centers and state and local law enforcement, uh, you know, was, it was well received among those audiences, and that's who it was intended for. Uh, but uh, it ended up getting leaked and used as a political tool against the new administration. So my warning got lost in the political backslash and mudslinging. So what they do with the report? Well, the department uh, had to actually apologize uh, because the American Legion got offended that we pointed out rightfully that returning military veterans would be targeted by these extremist groups uh, for recruitment. Uh, and then they actually rescinded the report, and uh, they said initially they were going to send it out in a different form, but it never really uh, took shape, and they never disseminated it again. Yeah, and of course, the real problem, in my opinion, was not the American Legion; it was Rush Limbaugh and Fox News, uh, and and the Obama administration could not stomach being yelled at by them. Uh, so Definitely. I think, and, and I want to be clear: even before the Trump administration, it was a great act of cowardice by the Obama administration to withdraw that legitimate security report in the country. And it wasn't just about targeting Obama, it was about targeting American citizens. And now we've seen the results of that. So what then happened to your group that was tracking this? 
Yeah, so initially uh, they stopped all of our work. Uh, we had a number of trainings throughout the country that we were scheduled to give. Uh, we had one of our analysts actually training down at Quantico at the FBI Academy. I personally was training at the ATF Academy down in Glencoe, Georgia. Uh, we had other uh, briefings and presentations scheduled. Uh, the National Sheriff's Association in Missouri had invited us. So all this work that we had done, all the reports that we were writing, all the training and presentations we were given uh, was stopped. And we were initially told that it was just going to be a few months until this political firestorm died down. But all that did was give my leadership time to restructure the organization. And they shut down my unit and reassigned us to other tasks. And uh, when they shut it down, was anyone in the government at that point trying to track right-wing extremism to stop it? Uh, only the FBI has full-time resources devoted to this issue at the federal level. But uh, in terms of the Department of Homeland Security, totally shut down. So what wound up happening to you, your job? Yeah, so I was reassigned, it was kind of insulting. Uh, I was reassigned to look at Al-Qaeda threats to the United States. Uh, so I eventually uh, saw the handwriting on the wall. Uh, the leadership started retaliating against us. Uh, saying that we had used poor analytical tradecraft in writing that report. So I went ahead and uh, you know, decided to resign and, and you know, move on and start my consulting company. So Daryl, that's interesting that you said it was insulting to be assigned to Al-Qaeda extremism because of course there's been Islamic extremist attacks in America as well. So why did you find that insulting? Because I'd spent my whole federal career looking at domestic non-Islamic extremists. There are plenty of analysts uh, at DHS and the FBI and CIA, NSA, the military services. I mean, there's literally hundreds of analysts that look at Al Qaeda, and just to have me reassigned was deliberately meant to kind of, you know, humiliate me. Right, I understand. And so now, uh, unfortunately, you've been proven correct, and there is one massacre after another after another by right-wing extremists, uh, and and that leads to the unfortunate question of. Do you think that if the Department of Homeland Security had actually listened to that report and kept your team together, that of course you couldn't have stopped all of them, but is there a chance you might have been able to stop some of them? I definitely believe so, and I've thought about that question for many months and even years, because it's been 10 years now. If we would have taken that report seriously, and if the US government would have spent the time to develop a you know countering white nationalism strategy back in 2009, we would have much more mature programs and much more money and resources invested uh, that could stem you know the level of threat that we're currently seeing. So uh, finally, you know we've mainly been criticizing the Obama administration uh, for giving into nonsense political threats, uh, but what did the Trump administration do when they took over? Yeah, I will say one thing for Barack Obama's administration. They were kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. I mean, you're under a Democratic leadership. Uh, these right-wing extremists you know, are afraid that Democrats are going to uh, crack down on them and take their guns away. So if Obama and his administration would have done anything at the time, it would have just played right into these extremists' hands and given them more fuel to recruit and radicalize. As far as the Trump administration, uh, I've been very disappointed. Uh, you know, typically during Republican administrations, we see a dial back in the level of activities by these right-wing extremist groups. And they're continuing to operate at a very heightened level because they feel this is a permissive environment. We have the President of the United States 
mainstreaming some of their extremist ideas that I saw 10 or 15 years ago on white nationalist websites. Uh, ideas like building a border wall and mass deportation of immigrants, uh, calling immigrants invaders, uh, banning Muslims from traveling into the country. Uh, you know, this is all mainstreaming of extremist ideas. Yeah, and and is the Department of Homeland Security back and revving on on uh, fighting uh, right wing extremism at this point after all the massacres? There's been a lot of talk uh, by the leadership, uh, but there hasn't been any action as far as devoting more resources or hiring more people or devoting more grant funding uh, to groups that could combat white nationalism through their countering violent extremism programs. There hasn't been anything yet, so. I'm kind of uh, curious to see if these latest uh, round of attacks tends to uh, spur somebody to action. Actually, Daryl, let me ask you about a report that uh, we broke. Uh, Ken Klippenstein at TYT Investigates uh, broke the story, and he's got the internal documents from the FBI in this case, saying that um, uh, white supremacist extremism was a mid-level threat, but black extremism was a, the highest level threat. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. Like I said, we had that micro trend back in 2016, 2017. I don't know what the date of these documents are, but you know, obviously, police were uh, very concerned about being ambushed, and you know, some of those controversial police shootings had kind of uh, reactivated the violent black nationalists here in this country. But fortunately, it only lasted, you know, a year. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be perverse uh, priorities uh, given the. The amount of shootings that are happening and the amount of violence that is happening on the different sides here. All right, uh, listen, if you guys want to find out more, uh, the book Hate Land, written by Daryl, has all of this and more. Uh, a long, hard look at America's extremist heart is what it's called. Hate Land, uh, check it out by Daryl Johnson. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Look, it's good to, to know that there were some people trying to do the right thing in the US government, no matter what their uh, political affiliation is, uh, unfortunately, he was stopped. All right, when we come back, um, speaking of taking action, uh, we've got a progressive activist trying to stop uh, all those same massacres, and they've got a unique way of doing it. It uh, surrounds the idea of Walmart. Let's talk about that when we come back. Back on Young Turks. Hey guys, don't worry, don't forget about Wolfpack. They're making a movie about anti-corruption and how to get the money out. There actually is a way to do it, and they're going to show you in the movie. So, more importantly, they're going to show the legislators in the movie. Wolf-pack.com/film. Wolf-pack.com/film. All right. Joining me now is Igor Volsky. He is executive director of Guns Down America. Igor, welcome to the Young Turks. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so uh, first, tell us what Guns Down America is. Well, so Guns Down America is an organization building a future with fewer guns. And we just launched a campaign in a large coalition uh, of uh, March for Our Lives, Color of Change, uh, the American Federation of Teachers that's pushing Walmart to stop selling guns. And because they're one of the largest retailers in the world, we really think that they have the leverage, if they choose to lean into this issue, to move the debate on Capitol Hill and to actually move us closer to gun reform. Okay, now to be fair, Walmart has already taken some actions, right? What have they done so far? So they stopped selling handguns, they stopped selling assault weapons, they increased the age to 21. And that's exactly why 
we think they need to go further because Walmart understands that if you limit access to firearms, that you're gonna keep people safer. You're gonna keep uh, people in your stores safer. You're gonna keep your employees safer. And given where we are with guns in America, the fact that things are getting deadlier, the fact that things are getting more dangerous, it's more important now than ever before for Walmart to go further. They gotta stop selling guns until we can raise the standard for gun ownership. They gotta stop giving money to lawmakers and candidates who take money uh, from the NRA. Imagine the kind of shockwaves that would create in DC if a huge corporation said, you know what? We believe in gun reform and we're no longer funding lawmakers who oppose it. Well, yeah, I, I agree that that would be a shockwave, and I and I think that uh, you're onto something that could even get larger if we put pressure on corporations to not give to politicians in the first place. That if you are a corporation <laughs> that uh, donates to a super PAC, uh, we should you know consider boycotting uh, that company. So, but one thing at a time. Let's just keep talking about guns. Um, you know, if if anyone should be for the federal background checks, first of all, everyone is. Polls at anywhere between 90 to 97% of Americans. But Walmart should be your biggest ally there because people are using uh, gun shows as a loophole uh, to buy guns basically uh, in what should be illegal but is not illegal. And, and they're doing it not at Walmart, but at, at different places. So can is it possible to, to use them as an ally for federal background checks? Well, look, there have been proposals in the past that urged Walmart to basically create little kiosks in their stores. And so somebody who wants to make a private sale would be able to go to that Walmart with their gun. They would meet the purchaser there. They would use the Walmart system to go through a background check. Um, and that maybe folks thought that was the solution. Ultimately, Walmart rejected that plan. I think something about the danger of having folks walk into your store with guns was a little problematic for them. But you know, I think the real problem here is that the standard for gun ownership in this country is just way too low, right? It's way too easy to get a gun. And what we know from all of the latest research on this is that the kind of system you need is really a licensing system, something that requires people to go much further than just a simple instant background check. And so that's why our argument is until we can raise that standard, until we can make it harder for folks to get guns, until we ban um, assault weapons, Walmart has to keep the pressure up and it has to use all of the leverage that it has as a huge company to help to help us make that happen. Okay, you see how the man tried to shut you down by dimming your lights? <laughs> That's we will right. not stand for it. Okay, we see those tricks. Walmart's listening. Yeah, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, all right, so how would you? Okay, so ban assault weapons. I get that. Federal background checks. We all get that. By the way, banning assault weapons, new poll out today, Fox News poll. 67% yeah. of Americans want to ban it, two thirds of the country. We don't really live in a democracy. I mean, look at what you're doing, Igor. I mean, since 97% on federal background checks and 67% on uh, banning assault weapons doesn't work because we don't actually have a democracy. You're basically having to ask multinational corporations because they're the only ones that politicians will listen to. Right, right. 
that's precisely the challenge, right? The fact that our democracy and that, that the lawmakers in that democracy are in gerrymandered districts where the incentives to actually represent your full constituent picture are really not there. That's the problem, right? And so we have to go to these corporations because we have to engage other actors in society to help us build that future with fewer guns. It's really, really sad, but it's also currently the reality that we live in. And because 100 people die from guns every single day, you know, you gotta do what's possible. And so, you know, even this morning, Walmart is really feeling the pressure. You had their CEO on an earnings call saying that they, you know, would support Congress, maybe consider an assault weapons ban, maybe figure out if it actually works. You know, they kind of felt like they needed to give some kind of response. And I think if folks go to walmartmustact.org, there's a letter there they can print out and deliver to their local Walmart, urging the corporation to stop selling guns. And if we keep the pressure up, if folks post pictures of themselves in front of that Walmart holding that letter and challenge um, their friends to do the same, uh, we could actually see real change. And of course, as, as, as you see there on the screen, this is a really big campaign that's going to have all kinds of on the ground actions, rallies at Walmart stores. Um, and I think given the fact they've already led on this issue and also given the fact that Walmart workers are asking Walmart to do the right thing, there's a real opportunity here to create real change. Yeah, but how do you know if they have a Walmart near them? Just kidding. Um, okay, so uh, but back to the corporation pressure idea. You know, it's interesting. I think the corporations have brought this upon themselves because they captured the government. They figured out a way to basically indirectly bribe our politicians. So, well, now you're in charge. So that's why we're at your doorstep. If we thought it made sense and if it was effective, to protest Mitch McConnell or Republicans or some Democrats that are on the wrong side of this, that's what we would do. But they're useless, yep. so we're going to their boss. And their boss is corporations that own them, including Walmart, right? And so that's why, I mean, it's because, Igor, if you're not familiar with the American political system, let's say you're living in Europe or something, this must be so weird. Why are you going to Walmart yeah, to get yeah, the no, government to act? That's really the sad reality that you you have to go to you have to go to the folks who who control those dollars. And in the case of Walmart, we were actually shocked to find out that the top recipients of money from the NRA all got money from Walmart as well. Um, and so, right, and so you, you're exactly right. You gotta go where the leverage is because look, Mitch McConnell spent his entire career carrying water from the NRA. He's received millions of dollars from the NRA. So unless there's some kind of huge wave, he's not gonna, gonna change. And so you have to think about what are other levers you can pull that actually have some kind of theory of change for helping us solve this crisis. Yeah, look, I really think you're onto something here. And I'm not at all surprised that Walmart's donated to the same people that the NRA has donated to because they largely donate to Republicans. The the Waltons that inherited the Walmart faith, 
wealth, I should say, uh, are the ones who are the richest people in the country. Uh, and uh, for example, Bernie Sanders were the win. They did this analysis on estate tax alone. The Walton family uh, would have to pay the government 157 billion dollars. So. <sighs> Of course, they pay off Republicans to make sure that never ever happens. Make sure you keep our tax rates low so that we can hoard away our money. But so you're not looking to stop that. What you're trying to do is uh, isolate the NRA and say, even if you're giving to Republicans, you've got to not give to people who are taking NRA money. Otherwise, the blood is on your hands. And in this case, it's very literal. This is not an ideological difference. This is literal blood on the streets. Yeah, this is literal blood on the streets. And of course, as you know, on this issue, a bullet doesn't discriminate if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. People are dying in all kinds of horrific ways. And people are also, you know, living lives in all kinds of pain because so many hundreds of thousands are shot but survive. And so that's exactly, you know, what we're trying to solve. And you're exactly right. Because of the broken system, we have to run campaigns like WalmartMustAct.org and and push these corporations um, uh, to respond to public pressure on this issue because our politicians aren't, despite the fact that 97% of Americans, almost all Americans, back gun reform. All right, one last quick thing, because you mentioned other than those two things, assault weapons bans and and federal background channels, what's the one other regulation that you would most like to, to get passed? Well, so it's licensing, it's registration. And then I think you also have to crack down on the gun industry. You've got to make sure they're not producing these military style weapons. You actually have to create an entity that regulates what they produce. There's no federal agency that does that right now. And then finally, the last thing I think is really investing in community based violence intervention programs that will help reduce urban gun violence. We know what to do. We just have to get the right folks in power to actually do it. All right, Igor Vosky, Executive Director of Guns Down America. Everybody go to walmartmustact.org and we'll have a link down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, uh, when we come back, um, the legendary Annie Kasparian is back and we're gonna do a post game. Probably talk about her vacation so we can all get jealous. Uh, <laughs> she went to Florida. Uh, did anybody do anything crazy? It is Florida. Uh, we'll find out uh, for the members, tyt.com slash join to become a member and support independent media. I mean, look, guys, we did the story about uh, the New York Times at the end of the second hour and how they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not part of the resistance. You got all those subscribers. Saying that you know you're going to hold the Trump administration accountable, then you turn around and say you're not going to hold them accountable. We're here to tell you we're going to hold them accountable, both the corporate Republicans and the corporate Democrats and the Trump monsters. So help us do that at tyt.com/join. Plus, get fun post games, behind the scenes, etc. We'll be right back.